0: Welcome to another episode of the Pedestrian podcast. Myself Stuart Court and Adam Nathan. This week are joined by someone who possibly isn't aware of like the butterfly. He is the butterfly effect he had on the origins of this podcast. Really, six, seven, eight years ago, uh he's a Seattle sports radio legend and a, oh, oh, I'm sure a quiet and reserved type as well. Finally, we get on the pedestrian podcast, Mr. Dave Softimana How are we, sir?
1: I'm Greg. You mentioned there's a legend coming on, and I'm, I'm wondering when exactly is that going to happen? Uh, we tried to get him. Around I, I don't see legends around here. I see a dog over here. There's a dog down the hall. My wife is down the hall. I could go grab her if you want. Hey, honey, would you call me a legend? <laughs> she says no. So when, that, when that legend shows up, boys, let me know. All right? Okay. Let me know.
0: But yes, yeah, so eight years ago, it was your uh, radio show at the Lodge, uh, the Stadium Lodge. But me, Adam, and a few other guys first met uh, pre-Cow, Colorado, Adam?
2: Yeah, the Siler-Miles game, I think. Oh, no. And that's, yeah. where, we, that's where Stuart and I first met and uh, started this stupid thing after that.
1: Well, you know what? Listen, man, I apologize to both of you for motivating <laughs> you to go down this road. It's, it's, it's a road with no end. It's a road with no positivity in sight. Especially if you're talking about this football team right now, and I was in a bad mood already thinking about last night's Seahawks game, and then Adam has to go bring up the name Siler Miles for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I feel any better about what happened yesterday? But with Russell's injury, who knows? Maybe they'll call on a guy like a like a Siler Miles. So you know, it's funny you mentioned his name last time I saw him; he was actually working at Walmart uh, up in up in Linwood. Uh, I went to buy some dog food and Siler was there at the cash register. So hope he's got his life together. Hope he's doing okay. But uh, yeah, we got we got bigger issues, boys, on our hands after last night's loss, don't we?
2: Well, it's funny you mentioned being pissed off. I mean, Stuart and I, as we spoke before, we went to bed at 5 a.m. because of this stupid game. And normally the day after prime time, I'm just tired. But now, because the way this team's going, I'm tired and I'm pissed off, which is just a rotten combination. And I wasn't even going to watch it last night. But I thought, of course, I'm going to watch it. Because it's my team. Yeah. And I'm fucking gutted this morning. <laughs> I, I'm really upset. And I don't know what it is, but I mean, you've got you've got a better pulse of the fan base than we do, Dave. But yeah. for the last decade, you could always close one eye, squint with the other and see a championship team there somewhere in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And I just don't see it anymore. And, and it's it's tearing me up.
1: It feels like I said it yesterday that somebody said this kind of feels like the beginning of the end of the Carol Wilson era. And I think we're kind of maybe more in the middle of that, to be totally honest Mm -hmm. with you. You know, I thought thought the way things ended last year with um, Brian Schottenheimer getting fired and Shane Waldron getting replaced, getting beat by a backup to the backup to the starter, a quarterback for the Rams a year ago watching the offense just totally fall apart. Only reason I thought why the defense, well, one of the biggest reasons why the defense stepped up a year ago is because the quality of competition they were playing. So I thought it was kind of a red herring kind of fool's gold last year. So now you go into this off season and let's face it, guys, it's not hard to understand what's happening with the Seahawks. They, they had holes that they had to fill over the off season that they just didn't fill at all. I mean, they lose Shaquille Griffin to Jacksonville. What did they do about that? They did nothing about that. They brought back Trey Flowers and hoped they could turn chicken crap into chicken salad and close their eyes. And all of a sudden, Trey Flowers wakes up and he's going to be freaking Darrell Revis or, or you know, Richard Sherman, uh, counting on a bunch of guys that basically are coming off the scrap heap. And I, I love Sidney Jones for what he did at Washington. But... I think at this point in his career, Sidney Jones is probably what he is, to be honest with you. So you got the secondary that really wasn't addressed at all by the front office. And then you have the offensive line, you know, especially at center where you knew you had problems with Ethan Posick and Kyle Fuller. And their answer was to bring those guys back. And they drafted D. Eskridge when they could have had any center in the draft. They could have had their pick of the litter in the draft. Even Creed Humphrey, who's killing it right now, by the way, for Kansas City. So a lot of areas that just simply were not addressed by this football team. And then you have the Jamal Adams conundrum, which really isn't a conundrum anymore, because a conundrum would suggest that there's a debate on both sides of the argument. There is no debate on the Jamal Adams argument right now. He is god awful. He is terrible at what he does. There is literally nothing Jamal Adams is doing well right now for this football team, and for 17 goddamn million dollars, that is a freaking disgrace. I went back and watched it last night, guys, and I watched Troy Aikman talking about the touchdown to Tyler Higbee in the corner of the end zone, and Aikman's talking about how that's a mismatch. And if you didn't hear the rest of his sentence, somebody who doesn't really know a lot about football would think, oh, it's a mismatch in favor of Jamal Adams because the guy's a safety and he's paid to cover tight ends. No, 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 it's actually a mismatch in favor of Tyler Higbee. No player in the NFL that is the highest paid at his position should ever be that much behind the eight ball against anybody in the NFL. So for Troy Aikman to say that last night shows me that the rest of the country is starting to pick up on this too as well, guys. And it's freaking yeah. sad.
0: And all, all the New York media were quick with the Blitz boy uh, late last night as well, back on back on that bandwagon as well. Which if anyone, if anyone is going to remind you, bring your receipts. It is probably New York media in it.
1: Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, yeah, you know, Jason Smith is a buddy of mine, does a show, steward for Fox Sports Radio. And he, he's like, I tried to tell you, tried to tell you, <laughs> I tried to tell you. Well, Hugh Millen has been telling everybody the entire offseason that they got to get rid of this guy. They just they just can't pay him. Realize we gave up two firsts, the third, and McDougal for him. We understand all that, but you can't compound the mistake. And Look, maybe he turns it around. Maybe all of a sudden things get better and he figures it out. I personally think, guys, that with the numbers that Jamal Adams is putting up, and and they're frightening. I mean, after five games a year ago, the guy had five and a half sacks, six tackles for loss, and nine quarterback hits. Now he has zero sacks, two tackles for loss, and zero quarterback hits. That's how far he's fallen in just the first five games of the year compared to last season. This is about the time when you hear that, well, he's dealing with something. He's fighting through something. He's got a little bit of an injury or something's nagging him. Wait for it. That's going to happen. I promise you that's going to happen because with these numbers, somebody out there will try to find a way to justify it. So, you know, he tried to tell us that this was a mistake to re-sign the guy. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I mean, last night, you know, I heard Hugh on the post-game show. He's exactly right, guys, that, He was the worst player on the field. And then pro football focus went out this morning and backed it up with the lowest grade of any player in that game last night. That is shocking to think that Jamal Adams at 17 million bucks is giving you that kind of effort.
0: Yeah. And also the the free agency kind of seemed to seem to suggest maybe, and with hindsight that they kind of knew that there was issues because they tried to pay Shaquille Griffin and he took slightly more money in Jacksonville. And they kind of just give Chris Carson what he wanted. And through five games, he's got a all of a sudden he's got a neck injury out of nowhere. That kind of seems like a, a misstep as well. But because they clearly knew that behind Shaq and behind Chris Carson, there was not a lot, Adam.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, Dave, I said on our show last week that if Pete Carroll gets up in the middle of the night to take a piss, he'll forget more about the NFL than I will ever know in my life. Without question. Stu and I are two idiots. And we were saying in March, April, May, June, July, August. There's no cornerbacks. The linebacker depth doesn't look great. The offensive line doesn't look great. And I mean, I'm unless Pete is like the ultimate ostrich and has has his head buried so far in the sand. Like you, you've followed his whole career. Is it a stubbornness thing from Pete Carroll? Is it he thinks he can keep you know turning rubbish into gold? Like what's going on there? Because if yeah. we can spot this stuff, it doesn't yeah. compute that they can't.
1: Well, I I was okay with the defensive line, to be honest with you. I mean, getting Dunlap, getting Hyder, Taylor Robinson, Jordan Brooks is a guy who I've always thought could get after the quarterback like he did in college. And then Jamal Adams used as a blitzer, by the way, or as you guys call it, a blitzer. Uh, (laughs) I I was okay with the defensive front. But all the other things you talk about, totally. I mean, your linebacker depth was you had Bobby Wagner and then Jordan Brooks, who you think you like, but he hasn't really proven it yet. And then, boom just this huge drop-off to Ben Burkerman and Cody Barton. So I was in favor of totally bringing KJ back. I understand the problem. He didn't want to play the position that he was asked to play, and you don't want to bench Jordan Brooks. At some point, You had had to move on. But linebacker depth was a problem. Uh, Offensive line depth was a problem. You've gone from Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, and Carlos Hyde to Chris Carson, Alex Collins, and Travis Homer and DJ Dallas. So I thought the running back depth. Was weak. The cornerback depth was absolutely uh, freaking thin. There's no question about that. And then even after Gerald Everett at tight end, there wasn't a lot because Will Disley hasn't been the same since he got hurt. And Colby Parkinson hasn't proven jack shit so far in Seattle. I like him, but he hasn't, you know, I got to admit he hasn't hasn't done it yet. So you're right. All those issues. And it it really did not feel like they went out and addressed any of them over the offseason. So I'm banging my head against the wall thinking, what do you guys see in Trey Flowers? Nobody even knew who Akella Witherspoon was before they made the move for the guy with the Niners. And all of a sudden the guy comes here and he's the greatest freaking cornerback in the NFL. You know, it's unbelievable. Guys come to Seattle and players that you've never heard of all of a sudden are pro bowlers just because they're wearing a Seahawk jersey, which is nuts. So I'm totally with you, Adam, that they just did not address any of that stuff over the off season. And frankly, right now they're paying the price for it. But to answer your question about what's going on with Pete, <clears throat> I would say that he's a little stubborn, There's no question about that. But at the same time, I also think we've been asking him to adapt. The NFL has changed so much since they won the championship, as you guys know, in 2013. Think about how much has changed since Pete came to the Seahawks in 2010. Think about how much the NFL has changed since Andy Reid took the Eagles to the Super Bowl and then won it with the Chiefs a couple years ago, right? So Andy Reid's offense looks totally different than it did 15 years ago. So I thought it was really cool that Pete Carroll was actually willing to go out and hire a young guy like a Shane Waldron, give the job to a kid that may bring some fresh new ideas. The problem is we're not really seeing any of them. I mean, that's part of the issue from last night's game. All of us want to bitch and moan and whine and cry about Jamal Adams and the defense. And trust me, totally fair. They gave up 300 goddamn yards and 23 points in the second half uh, to the Rams last night. But the offense, when the fourth quarter began, even before Russell Wilson got hurt, at seven points against a defense that gave up 37 last week to Arizona. So, this is a across the board failure for me right now, guys, with this football team.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think they've been outgained by like 600 yards in the second half as well this season, as well. And like 70, 30, 70 26, I think it is, on points in the second half as well. It's just, I mean, there's adjustments just aren't coming because McVay – I think there's a really cool clip when they lost the Super Bowl to Be- uh, Belichick and the Patriots when McVeigh realises that basically Belichick has got him by the, the gonads. There's a really cool sound effect. we going, oh, he's cystic so kind of thing. But he adapts and he adapted yesterday. Stafford looked a lot like Jared Goff through a-, a half, really, last night. And then all of a sudden, as you say, just throws for all of the yards in the world to basically Cooper Cup and Robert Woods and nobody else. Yeah, There is clear, deep-seated issues, and it's just, yeah, we said a week ago on this pod that this next week is going to be the beginning of the end, and after that, it's going to be fascinating to watch for the next 12 weeks. Nothing has changed in the last week apart from the health status of uh, the quarterback, Adam.
1: Well, he's got this mallet finger, which I don't even know what the hell that is, right? I mean, every day you hear something new, some new terminology, but... What Google told me about Malafinger doesn't look good, you know. No. <laughs> uh, with this, you know, we're talking, you know, maybe a month or so, if not, maybe slightly more, slightly less. So, he's going to be out for, I would say, at least a few weeks. Um, Gino looked capable, but I think it's it's a lot easier for a backup quarterback to come off the bench and do something like that right away, versus when a team has a whole week to prepare. I kind of liken it to. I know you guys are cricket fans out there. You may not know a lot about baseball. Okay, but I liken it to baseball when when an offense is seeing a pitcher for the very first time and there's no book on him whatsoever. The pitcher is going to usually have the advantage. So now, you know, this coming weekend against Pittsburgh, the Steelers get to sit and watch Geno Smith and you know go to school on Geno Smith a little bit. I was actually shocked at him and Stewart that. The Rams did not come after him a little bit more mm. uh, in that game last night. They just, you know, they're, they're rushing forward, they're dropping seven, they're at least giving Geno Smith time to throw the football. I would expect with guys like TJ Watt, that's going to be a lot different next Sunday in Pittsburgh when the Steelers have a week to get ready for this guy. Yeah.
2: Well, everyone's going to talk about the, the here and now to death and no one wants to talk about that stupid game anymore. So if we're <laughs> looking f- forward ever so slightly – yeah. it's it's difficult to not look at the next few months as a pretty seminal moment going forward for the Seahawks. And, you know, I, I've always said that the, in 2017, when Pete Carroll sort of cleaned house with, of his coaches, and you're a movie guy, it reminded me of Michael Corleone at the end of Godfather 1, just whacking everyone and yeah. just having a clear run to power. And Godfather 1 happened and then Godfather 2 happened. And yeah. there's part of me that wonders if Pete Carroll might have a, another sort of cleaning house offensive. And, and at that time, you know, Michael Colonna killed Fredo, his brother. And I wonder if, uh, you know, we, we might see someone as important to Pete Carroll as a Russell Wilson, as a John Schneider going, or if it's Pete Carroll himself maybe that goes, because I can't see us going into next season with those three guys no in the same position. It, it just doesn't seem like it could possibly work.
1: So let me ask you this. So Stuart, you can translate what Adam just said. Is he endorsing killing coaches? Is that what
2: <laughs> it depends how many, it depends on the next 10 weeks. Yeah. It depends how many more games like that they put up. <laughs> All right, Just so I know.
1: So uh, just if anybody's watching, it was not my idea. It was that guy's idea right there. <laughs> I mean, this would be like Godfather three though, right? Because he's already turned over his entire staff and he's turned over He's now on, what fourth offensive coordinator, Mm. Jeremy Bates, Daryl Bevel, Schottenheimer, and now Shane Waldron. He's had all kinds of different defensive coordinator, uh, you know, DCs. But those guys move on because they're coveted, because other teams want them to be their head coach. And I think, really, when things were buzzing in Seattle and when things are buzzing, that's what you want. And it's not just in the NFL. It's really in any level, over at Washington with the Huskies or – The Cougars, you want your coordinators to be coveted by the rest of football, by the rest of the NFL. Nobody wants Ken Norton Jr. as their head coach right now around the NFL. Nobody wants Shane Waldron right now as their head coach around the NFL. So I think a lot of it, though, guys, is a personnel problem. And I do put a lot of it on Pete Carroll and John Schneider for, as we said, not addressing all those issues that we talked about in the offseason. But, you know, look, I mean... Pete Carroll, what is he, 70, 69 damn years old? He had that, I don't even know what that blood clot thing what was, was on his head last night. It was kind of weird, like somebody hit him. I have no idea. Maybe something burst, but you know, he 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 looks he looks tired, right? And that's gonna happen. I mean, it's gonna happen to all of us when you get to that age. So I don't blame the guy. And he's had a hell of a run with the Seahawks. And I'm not endorsing firing Pete Carroll yet at all. I honestly think that Pete Carroll, in a lot of ways, has earned a lot of equity in this town. He's earned the the right to step down and go his way if he wants. But in the interim, I think it's also fair for Seahawks fans to ask, is, is Pete Carroll making all the moves he needs to make? You know, Bill Belichick is famous for cutting players a year too early versus a year too late. You saw what they did with Stefan Gilmore just a couple of days ago. The, the Chris Carson move. I mean, the guy hasn't had a 100-yard game since December of 19, and as you said, Stuart, now he's freaking banged up again. This guy is hurt seemingly every single week. Even when he's healthy, he's banged up. Rashad Penny's been a total bust. LJ Collier has been a complete bust so far for this football team. So they're going to have to start making some really hard and aggressive decisions, and that may mean getting rid of guys like Chris Carson, like Russell Wilson, saying goodbye to a guy like a Bobby Wagner and starting over again at that position. I know that sucks to hear people talking like that, but you want to get back to where you once were? You got to be ruthless. And the Seahawks, when Pete Carroll and John Schneider took over 11 years ago, you know this boys as well as me, were ruthless with that roster. They'd bring in guys for five minutes, give them a locker (laughs) and then fire them and send them back home. How many transactions did they make that first year? Like 500? It was crazy. So they've got to get back to that point where we're not worried about feelings or legacies or anything like that and start rebuilding this roster right now because they're getting older in key spots, and that's only going to lead to bad things. How,
0: how, how, how much of that kind of do you think, please, up above Pete Carroll to Jody Allen and the current ownership? None, of it. None no, of it. But, but because, no. because, it, because Paul Allen was someone who's aggressive, he went and got right. Pete Carroll, he got Mike Holmgren back in the early part of this of the millennium, but that we haven't heard from, obviously she's more, she's well within the right not to talk, but we haven't heard anything without them talking about Pete Carroll's power. That just seems to have enveloped further over the entire franchise in the last few years.
1: Oh, I totally agree. I, I, I think he's, he's, he's the grand poop of the Seahawks in a lot of ways that the buck stops with him. I mean, who do you want it to stop with? You really want it to stop with Jody Allen I mean, I I don't know if Jody Allen has that kind of acumen. Um, I think Paul Allen, one of his great strengths, honestly, Stuart and Adam, is that he was smart enough to know what he didn't know. As the owner, he provided capital. He provided all the opportunities to go out and get big names. And you may even remember back in the day when they went out and got Chad Brown, when he was a free agent from Pittsburgh. And, that was a sign that, hey, this guy is going to give this coaching staff everything they need to succeed. And I think Jody is doing the same thing. I think Jody is going down the same road as her brother did, where I'm going to let the football people run this thing. You tell me what you need money-wise. You tell me what you need capital-wise. Any big you know expenditures or trades, yes, I can be a part of it, but I trust you. And I think that's a smart move for an owner to do that. But I also think there's negatives to that, right? I mean, there is nobody there kind of keeping an eye on the inmates as they run the asylum. Then he got Burt Cole, who really is doing nothing right now for this football team from a personal perspective. So make no mistake, guys, this is John Schneider and Pete Carroll's franchise and really Pete Carroll's at the top of the pyramid and mm. there's nobody close to him above him, nobody.
2: I don't think I'd be putting words in your co-host, Dick's Fane's mouth, if, if I said that. He he suggested, well, I, I listened to the show and from what I can tell, He's pretty content with the idea that if you make the playoffs enough times, eventually you'll probably get better and maybe you'll have your time. But from looking back at the last 10 years of the NFL, it seems to be the other way around that a team explodes, wins a Super Bowl, and then they sort of drop down and drop down and, and make the playoffs. And we have on our Facebook group, you know, people saying, like, I was a fan in the 80s, you don't know how lucky you are to have this. Like, I don't really give a shit about the 80s because I really want to win a Super Bowl now, because it's really fun. And yeah, making the playoffs is nice, but for me, it's kind of just vanity. Uh, you know, make, you make the playoffs and you, you go out straight away. Like, who really cares? For me, that does that does nothing for me. But it clearly does do. You know, there are people that that they're contented by that. Sure. How long? How long do you reckon that's going to last for though? Because I I, I I feel like it's turned this year. Yeah.
1: Oh, I, it, 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 I mean, it's over, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, making the playoffs. I mean. what is this Atlanta? Right. I mean, are we the Jets now? (laughs) Honestly, are we are we the Lions? I mean, not not all NFL franchises are created equally and not all fan bases are created equally. I mean, do you think Green Bay fans? Do you think um, Pittsburgh fans? Do you think even Cowboy fans who have high expectations are happy with just making the postseason? Of course not. I mean, that's ridiculous for anyone to suggest that we should be content with the Seahawks just making the playoffs and Russell Wilson's not content. Pete Carroll's not content with just making the playoffs. So why should we be content? Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, to me that, 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 that argument is not, almost not even worth acknowledging because it's so stupid. You know, I mean, this is a, this is a team that's got an a elite player at quarterback. We thought had an elite player at linebacker, an elite player at safety an elite player two elite players, I think are wide receivers. So, you, you've had three opportunities, really two opportunities, let's face it so far, to test yourself against what we think are going to be the elite of the NFL, other playoff teams, the Rams and, and Tennessee. I right? think Tennessee is still going to be pretty good. And you've been embarrassed by those teams. I mean, the Rams came to your house and they scored 23 points and went for 300 yards in the second half. And Tennessee, after halftime, outscored you 24 to 6. So that's what I think we should be doing And what I do is I like to compare the Seahawks to the elite of the NFL because that's the goal is to win a damn Super Bowl, at least to get back to one, for God's sakes. And if you can't compare yourself to the elite of the NFL and judge yourself versus the elite of the NFL, then you have no right talking about making a Super Bowl or playing for one. None.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, this is I'd say it's going to be a fascinating uh, 10, 11 weeks, especially the longer that Russell Wilson sits out. I mean, now we just got to hope that NBC flex Dwayne Haskins against Gio Smith out of primetime next week because I'm not
1: watching that at 4 o'clock.
0: I'm conference. not
2: staying up till 5 o'clock in the morning <laughs> for that.
1: <laughs> what, time, what time would that be? Like 2 in the morning, your time, 1 in the morning? Yeah, start,
2: yeah
0: about 1.20 in the morning, I think, kickoff is. and yeah. uh, that's, that's not happening. Uh, and then we've got Jameis Gino as well the week after that. Really yeah long. not exactly
1: uh the greatest matches uh matchups a quarterback and then you throw in trevor lawrence and urban meyer in a couple of weeks with the jaguars so with the way he's playing at least you have the name recognition of a trevor lawrence i mean who knows if urban meyer is even going to be the coach of the jaguars you know <laughs> you laugh dance as we speak right now so who knows if he'll even be there in a couple of weeks from now but I mean, guys, I just think that, you know, they, they, they've just got to start kind of peeling off the Band-Aid here, you know, and maybe, maybe give these guys a few weeks to kind of get stuff together. But I think we know what we have in Ken Norton Jr. It's been four years. I think we know what we have and guys like Trey Flowers. I think you know what you have and guys like Jamal Adams. And the Jamal Adams thing is a major, major topic out here in Seattle. Everybody's pissed off. I'm not even sure if he addressed the media after the game last night, which if he did not, to me is – That's a chicken shit move by him to not do that again after what happened against Tennessee he's he's supposed to be a leader on this football team. He's your third highest paid player. He's supposed to be setting an example for the young guys and and leading this group of players and for him to abandon his post like that and just go hiding, you know, in a corner and curl up into a ball. uh, Maybe I'm old school, but I I can't stand that. You know, I hate, I hate looking at that. So first we got to figure out what the hell's going on with Russell. Right. And then we can kind of move on from there.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. uh, down the road from uh, Lumen Field, it's not going that well either. For your other sporting love and passion, Dave uh, the Huskies are. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> probably, that's probably
2: <laughs> the correct facial expression reaction. Um, Quite amazing that we're get, we're going to go move away from the Seahawks and go Ooh. more disappointing and, and <laughs> more upset with what the hell's going on over there.
1: I got to be honest with you, with uh, <coughs> with Stu's thick accent. I didn't hear a word he said (laughs) until he said Huskies. And I realized exactly the road he was going down. Like, does that happen a lot with him, Adam, where he just kind of a buzzword and people are like, what, huh? And then he says a word and like, oh, now I understand what he's been saying for the last 35, 40 seconds. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, you got, you got two coordinators in Seattle and John Donovan at Washington, the OC and Ken Norton who, are on the hot seat big time, and it's hard for me to imagine Washington not making a move at offensive coordinator over the offseason and somebody else calling plays in September. And right now, it's kind of hard to imagine Ken Norton Jr. being here next year, too. So, but both teams are kind of having the same problems in
2: some ways. I mean, the Huskies are always going to be your number one love, I think, and you know, because they always have been. But I'm interested to know what it's like following two sports that have such different parity scales so college football to me is kind of like the soccer that Stu and i follow in the sense that you know saudi arabia just bought a team in the premier league and russia own a team and abu dhabi own a team and another team in the same league is owned by a chef from norwich so the idea of that just seems ridiculous to me and as a husky fan you know we, we follow it and we watch all the games as well but ultimately the the pinnacle of the sport is kind of seems out of reach because of the way the Pac-12 is constructed and the way that the money is going, like the SEC seem to be so dominant that yeah. obviously for, for the older fans, they're always going to stick with it. But for younger fans, you know, 20-year-olds that want everything yesterday. Do you think people are going to stay as interested in college football as they have yeah. been in the past? Because money is causing such a disparity that you can't, half the team can't even win.
1: Yeah. Well, college football is set up the exact opposite as the NFL is set up. Mm-hmm. College football is set up for bad teams to stay bad. And the NFL is set up for bad teams to eventually get good again. That's why they have the draft and why you get the top pick in the draft when your team's terrible. And then you have money in free agency like Jacksonville had the number one pick and they had, what, $80 million in free agency to spend over the offseason and still have a bunch of money left over. So the NFL and college football are totally set up differently. I've always thought that in college football, if you don't play in a bowl game, you should at least get those extra practices so you can get better and work on stuff. But the NCAA only gives you those practices if you're playing in a bowl game at the end of the year. So it really is set up for the bad teams to stay bad. But as far as the lack of interest, you know, will, will, will fans stay on the wagon? I I, I think they're already jumping off, Adam. I mean, this is a Washington football team that hasn't won a significant bowl game in 20 years since you were four years old, right? And we're going back to the Rose Bowl when when Tui beat Drew Brees in, in, in January of 2001. So if you're in your mid-20s right now, you have no real memory whatsoever of Washington winning a big-time bowl game like the Rose Bowl. People have moved on. They've become Sounder fans. They've become Seahawks fans. They've become Storm fans. They're Playing lacrosse, they're getting paid to play video games. They're getting paid to watch other people play video games. <laughs> for are crying out loud. So that's a concern for me, and Washington's got to find a way to get that back. And the only way to get it back is to win games, man. And there's a mass exodus of talent from the West Coast taking off going to the SEC and the Big Ten, the Big 12, and when you can't even keep your own talent in town. And Washington lost, obviously, a ton of guys, JT allow. Ameka uh, Egbuka, G. Scott Jr., Zach Banner, David DiCastro. We can be here all day talking about big name guys, four or five star guys that were in town that walked out of here and went to play elsewhere. If they can't do that, they're going to be in trouble. So, yeah, I I, I would say some of the apathy that you're talking about is kind of already starting to set in. And
2: then you, 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 were at, you were at that Michigan game and they've been terrible as well. So, Is it like, what, what, what's the reason that they can keep such a fanaticism to it? Is it, you know, transient population in Seattle?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, why? why do you guys, why do you guys love soccer? Because it's in your culture, right? Mm. I mean, it's in your blood. I mean, it's not in our culture here on the West coast. It's not in our culture here in Seattle to be that fanatical and that crazy about college football but it is and maybe it's because they haven't won a damn thing in 20 years maybe it's because really ever since the early 90s they've only had the one good run and that was a couple year run with Marcus and then they had the one year run where they went to the final four with Chris Peterson but didn't win a bowl game in that run so when you go 30 years without really making a lasting impact you know people tend to kind of jump off the wagon so I just think it's really not in our culture. It's not in our culture here to fire an offensive coordinator after you score seven points against Montana in the opener. And it should be because it's in the culture down there in the SEC. It's in the culture in the Big Ten. You, you you do something like that at Oklahoma. You do something like that at Texas, something like that at Ohio State. You're out the door the next morning. Your freaking key card's turned off. You can't even get on the damn bus to go to work for crying out loud. So it's just not who we are. It's not us, man. And I, I wish we were like that because I love the passion. But I mean, you think about all the premier league clubs and the mistakes they make and the way they fire people right and left out there. It's just not who we are, dude. It's not. And it may never be who we are, to be honest with you.
2: So
0: the Seahawks are in some sort of transition. The Mariners are on the cusp of something. Um, Greatness. I mean, there's this, I mean, the Kraken are about to get things yeah! in, the, in the way and, but the next one is the
2: basketball team, isn't it, Dave?
1: I hope so. You guys fired up for Kraken hockey? You guys, big hockey fans out there?
2: I watch a little bit. I'm I'm going to yeah. go check out the. I'm checking out the facility for sure. Yeah. I mean, well, we're there's definitely... two
1: guys. There's two guys on the Kraken. There's two guys from Russia, but I want both of you guys to keep your eye on. All right. One guy's named Sergey. Suck me off. <laughs> and the other guy is Boris. Cut your cock off. All right. <laughs> He's
2: good. I've seen, I've seen him. I've seen him play a few they times. They
1: are bad ass. No, I, I'll be. I'll be totally honest with you. I don't know dick about hockey. Well, that's not true. I know a little bit about hockey, but not enough to carry on an intelligent conversation, which I have a hard time doing anyway, obviously, as you guys can tell. But people, I mean, I mean there's a buzz, right? It's our first indoor sport professionally that we've had since the Sonics left. So people are jacked up for that. We'll be at the Canucks game in a couple weeks. And then the Vegas game is on Tuesday. And the cool thing, man, Shaquille O'Neal was on our show yesterday and said Climate Pledge Arena is the best arena he's ever seen. Now, maybe he's saying that because he's got a restaurant inside the <laughs> arena, and I certainly understand that, but that he's not the first one I've heard say something like that. People are raving about this place, and I, I think, Stuart and Adam, it's only a matter of time before we get basketball back in Seattle, which I know you guys know how basketball works, so I'm fired up to yeah. take you guys to a game.
0: Yeah, we, we, yeah. Have, we have an ice hockey league over here, but I've been to a Calgary Flames game and then a British ice hockey game, and it's like going to – like off, 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 off Broadway. But yeah. it's, not, it's the same thing, but it's not. It's kind of like going to an MLS game after going to uh, yeah. a, a Premier League game, I think, to be honest. It's, Wait a minute, are
1: you, are you I, is he insulting the
0: MLS? Everywhere, it's, it's, oh, that is One a... of the strangest experiences of my life was going to... A, <laughs> uh, we went to Sounders, like Dallas in the playoffs. It was 3-3 and it went to extra time and we left because... Yeah, it was it, – like, everything was the same, but everything was different. Yeah, it's, it's bizarre. Uh, yeah.
1: It's yeah. minor league soccer, guys, compared to the rest of the world. Yeah. It really is. But yeah. you know what? Yeah. It's all we've got, right? It's all we have out here in the States. And it drives me nuts when they lose players to international duty. The Roldan brothers, Rui Diaz, Nuhu, players like that are all taken off to go play for their respective teams. Can you imagine if the Seahawks were playing a game like <laughs> last night, a week before the game – they announced, oh, OK, uh, Russell Wilson has to leave. Chris Carson's <laughs> got to leave. Bobby Wagner has to take off. And uh, DK Metcalf has to go play for his national team. So we'll see you for the Pittsburgh game. I mean, how stupid does <laughs> that sound? Right. Does it does that happen in the Premier League? You no. guys leave the Premier League?
2: No, no there's we two weeks of no Premier League football now because of the internationals. The, the league stops.
1: And we can't do the same thing here.
2: Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make it's sense.
1: No sense. See, but this you, is another example of why you guys should be in charge of the world. Anytime. <laughs> Any <time. laughs>
2: well, anytime.
0: I'm, well, I'm not too sure about that really at the moment. We can't I mean no one no one, one milk,
1: so Yeah, sure. no one
2: understands Stuart if he tries to do a speech to the world. So let's do yeah. Park Stewart. Stuart can be the speech writer. But
1: you you really can, he really does sound like a guy that even you sometimes have a hard time understanding.
2: Oh, not. A, I just, I zone out. I zone out. I, I'm checking my phone when it's just the two of us. And again, I'm just looking for keywords and hopefully I can pick the odd thing up.
1: Is this, uh, are you like three or four pints in already? Is that- no, no, no.
2: Not, not a single, not a single one. No, Tuesday, we had a few too many. Stuart and yeah, I met yeah, up on yeah. Tuesday, I had a few too many, but uh, apart there from that, go. it was good. But well, you
1: I was gonna say, let me just ask you real quick because I'm curious. I want to I want to talk about this today on my show. What's the reaction out there to what's happening with the Seahawks? Like give me give me just a hmm. quick synopsis of, of of what you guys are thinking out there from what you see.
0: It's pretty much everything you said. It's like a conglomeration of Jamal, Anger, Russell Wilson, end of an era. But then there's, as Adam said, there is people who are reminiscing about the 80s and 90s and Dave Krieg and all the rest of it,
2: I think. It's tough. I mean, it's really annoying to go to bed at five o'clock in the morning after watching something like that. And as I said, when we started off, like at least when you know you used to tolerate it. And I, I used to spend all day looking forward to the primetime games. Like it felt like you were part of like a, almost like a fraternity being up at 1.30 in the morning to watch your team play. But now it just feels, I don't know. I, I was wondering why I wasn't into it as much last night. And I think I was just disappointed at, how it just appears to have broken up. And I said that, yeah, we, Stuart and I've interviewed a couple of players like Doug Baldwin and KJ Wright recently. And we asked them like, did you get a chance to enjoy the success enough? And the uniform answer always was no, we didn't quite realize that we were at the top of the mountain and we spent too much time wondering about how much to get up there. And I made a vow to myself, if we ever get there again, I'm not even thinking about the next season. I'm not, I'll yeah. we'll, we'll be champion for a year and I'm going to enjoy the hell out of it because I don't feel like we enjoyed it enough. And now we're sort of coming down the other side of it and looking up at where we once were. And it, it, it's quite sad.
1: Well, it is it is sad if it does happen the way you guys are talking about, that this is the kind of an end of an era. But, you know, they'll they'll bounce back at some point, and then it'll make that so much more yeah. enjoyable because you went through this, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I I've made that point about the Mariners, that it's been so damn long since the Mariners have made the playoffs that this run that we just had kind of almost feels like the first time all over again because it's been 20 years, right? So either A, they've never made it in your lifetime, or B, it's been such a significant amount of time that it feels like they've never made it in your lifetime. So that's the, that's the silver lining of all that that we can now experience it and we'll get back there. And I remember thinking that way, after we lost to Pittsburgh in 2005, that I just want to get back. I want to get back and just get a shot at this thing again. And that's why 2013 was so awesome that we were waiting eight years to get that second chance and they finally got it and they delivered. But you know, look, man, um, I think I think a lot of people have different reasons for kind of tuning out or not going to games or whatever. You know, last year, <clears throat> personally for me, in my position, the locker room hasn't been open to media. Uh, so there really is no reason for me to be there unless I want to be in the stands and take in the atmosphere, which I do want to be there. I was there last night. But I'll admit, I'm not going to go to every single game. You know, if I, if I can't get in the locker room and do stuff for my show the next week, I might just stay home, watch the game on TV, and maybe give my tickets away to somebody. I mean, there's there's, there's something to be said, and Stuart knows about this. with sitting on your couch with your hand down your pants and a and a, a, a fridge full of beer next to you, right? I mean, it's 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 enjoyable, and and they and they're selling 85 inch TVs for you know a thousand dollars or you five hundred bucks at Costco, whatever. So they've made it very easy to stay home and enjoy these games on television, and then watching all these other games going on at the same time. Sports handicapping is is becoming more legal out here, obviously. So you got that angle now where you can stay home, watch a bunch of games. So I think like anything, the NFL is a business that has to continue to appeal to their customers. And the less you appeal to your customers, the more they move on and just decide to do something else. And we're seeing it yeah. last night, for example, there were 70 seats in that stadium and on venue Kings.com. I looked on the website yesterday morning. It was under 70 bucks to get in the door for tickets for games last night. I don't ever remember that Stuart, for a primetime game. Well no. we
0: we're, <clears throat> we're, we're coming over in December for the 49ers home yeah, game. Yeah,
1: when, when
0: yeah when we when we booked it, the tickets on StubHub and all that were 2 230 they're 170 right now.
1: Yeah. yeah it's and mad. They'll, and they'll drop. Yeah. They'll, they'll continue to drop, you know. I mean whether cuz of covid or the team isn't playing as well or whatever, but I don't know, man. I mean it's uh Definitely feels like we're in a transition right now. The only question is how far does that transition go before it turns around again?
2: We uh, obviously are generally UK, have a UK listenership, and Seattle is always like the mecca for, you know, the people that listen to the show and are on our group and everyone wants to go to Seattle. But you have a slightly different perspective in the sense that you deal with Seattle people as part of your job. and you You have to be on the pulse of the fan base and whatever. Over the last, you know, since they won the Super Bowl or whatever, how do you feel like the the seattle sports fan has changed is there like an entitlement is there an, you know is there still the same fanaticism because yeah we hear quite a lot about the atmosphere is not quite as good now as it was in 2014 2015 do you see like a general way in which people have changed after experiencing a bit of success yeah
1: it's like just the seahawks are in general what do you mean just
2: general because i'm fascinated that people can be so high on the seahawks and then the next segment can be so low on the mariners when it's like i'm just low about everything
1: Right. It, yeah, it, it's
2: funny to me that you can be a high and low at, you know, within 15 minutes of each other when you change yeah. what TV you talk about.
1: Well, you're just you're, you're just a miserable bastard.
2: 100 percent. Right? I mean,
1: you know, look at you for God's sake. <laughs> yeah. idea, right? I mean, you looks like Pee Wee Herman's brother for crying out loud. So I don't blame you for being miserable. But I'm right there with you, by the way. <laughs> uh, I mean, look, man, I mean, uh, th- th- this played out last Saturday night. I'm, I'm sitting in a studio doing the Washington, Oregon State game. And I'm watching the Mariner game on the TV. Paul seawall gives up a three-run homer in a huge game at the time. And then literally minutes later, Dylan Morris, the quarterback for the Huskies got stuffed on fourth down and you're like, boom, boom, just a double gut punch. And then Mitch Haniger, you know, 20 minutes later comes back with a RBI single to give the Mariners the lead again. So, you know, I mean, you got these little kind of like columns as a sports fan in Seattle. And my biggest column as you know, is, is for the Huskies and always will be, but right next to it, Seahawks, right next to it, Mariners, right next to it, Sonics, Sounders, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So it it just depends on the impact, right? I mean, we're talking regular season still, so the impact isn't that great. For me, last week, it was all Mariners because that column was huge. It was October. It was playoff caliber baseball. It was the first time in 20 years the city was buzzing. I did something last Sunday that I haven't done in God knows how long. I didn't even watch the Seahawks game, and I went to the freaking baseball game last weekend i mean i'm paying attention to what's happening on my phone but i'm not sitting there watching the seahawks mm. like i normally i mean you would never ever do that uh you know uh if you're a seahawk fan but i yeah I, I think it's pretty obvious you you just go with who deserves the attention you go with who's playing the bigger game you go with who is in the bigger moment and the mariners last week had a far bigger moment than the seahawks did that's why they got my attention
0: personally we we, uh, we kept, kept you for far too long uh, your time is obviously money and important uh, where can people uh, catch you um, obviously I don't, the British show isn't live over here but podcast is and yeah. can catch you on all the socials and everything
1: Softy KJR on Twitter is the best place to go I don't do Instagram I don't do Snapchat I don't do <laughs> Facebook or tiktok or any of that crap i personally think social media is the bane of our existence i think it's made all of us dumber to be honest with you and if i did not have to be on social media for my job there's not a chance in hell i would be on social media for my job so we do a little bit on twitter throw some takes out there put some links things like that uh but yeah the podcast at sports radio, always good to check out and Hugh Mello will be on today, giving us his take on what happened last night. Dick and I will go over everything from the game yesterday. So that's uh, about, what, 11 o'clock your time tonight. So if you're looking for something really boring to put you to sleep at 11 o'clock, <laughs> turn our radio show on. It's, <laughs> it's, like, it's like melatonin, man. It's perfect.
2: And we'll we'll look forward to our home and home at like midnight our time when we come on your show and talk rubbish for 45 Absolutely. minutes.
1: Absolutely. So when you guys come out here again? And the uh,
2: uh, first week of December. Yeah, 30th okay. of November to the 7th of December.
1: I, uh, I'm gonna. I'm actually on vacation that week, so sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you then.
2: Can't wait. So, yes.
0: Right. Uh, until next time. This has been the pedestrian other car.
2: Go Hawks.